0: Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of
1: Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville.
0: Mike Chard is
2: coffee at Starbucks with a double latte. Skinny Jason Stark (laughs) is against humanity. Take away the human (laughs) elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs)
0: Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the athletic. As always, joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And we do this every week. So if you enjoy listening to Starkville, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to give us a review. Thank you. All right, Doug. Now that we got that out of the way, welcome to post Labor Day reality. I'm sure everything's pretty calm in your household today <laughs> on the other side of Labor Day, right?
2: Absolutely not. Um, no. Total total chaos. School has started. Uh, a mix of hybrid slash in person virtual distance learning going on here. Oh, good. Uh, and then, of course, I'm teaching my class at UConn. We're in week two. And um, yeah, so I, my tech support system is impressive. I have like multiple headphones. I can talk uh, in multiple languages at the same time across videos and audio if necessary, whatever it takes. You have to just be versatile here. So I'm running like 12 different schools for four <laughs> different kids and 40, almost you know, 35 students. So yeah, it's, it's pretty calm over here, pretty calm. Good,
0: well, I'm gonna tell you how we're gonna brighten up your day. We've got a fellow center fielder joining us on Starkville today. Kevin Kiermeyer is here from those blazing hot Tampa Bay Rays. And it's going yes. to be fun. Kevin, Very excited. Very yeah, excited. Kevin's a fun guy, right? But before we bring him in, is it okay if we celebrate Cal Ripken's anniversary? Uh, you know, Sunday was the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken Jr. passing Lou Gehrig for the most consecutive games played in baseball history. And Doug, I was there that night. I'll talk about my memories of being there. But first I want to ask you this. Uh, Like you were a true everyday player when you played. Uh, You played 150 games four years in a row, but you never once played in 162. So here's what I'd like you to do. Put into words how incomprehensible it is that Cal Ripken did not miss a game for 15 seasons in a row.
2: Well, it kind of leaves me speechless to think about because I just, it's hard to capture how impossible that is. I mean, it really is uh, the impossible becoming possible. It's because I I think about, uh, well, I'll tell you a reason. For example, I didn't play 162. I actually wanted to try to do it in 98. And Terry Francona was my manager. And he came over to me one time and says, look, I got to give you a day off. He said, the bat is swinging you not the other way around. <laughs> this is a problem. So I just, you know, I looked tired and I was tired. I, I think I got like nine hits the entire month of September. I was I was just dragging. And so, uh, but so I took a lot of pride, but I did appreciate the effort of trying to do it. And I played with Alex Rodriguez who had a streak going. I remember when it ended, I think he was, pin- he was about to pinch it on deck. And I think we were in Puerto Rico. So that, that was kind of a, a mess. And, um, you know, so so just just think of it this way, like all the things that just simply can go wrong, that's out of your control, right? I mean, you get hit by a pitch, you roll your ankle, you do, you know, and yes, you play through pain, but there's sometimes things just happen that just knock you out, and and you just have no idea, like at any control for that to happen over that period of time, not just in season, but having a, a kitchen accident or something in the office, like whatever, all those things have to come together then you clearly have to be productive. It's not like you could do that every day and be garbage out there. You have to be a productive major league player. Uh, and the fact that he was an all-star and just an incredible you know, hall of famer, the, the, we're talking about the highest level of performance to be able to run out there every single day at a skill position, okay? So I'm just adding layers of impossibility to what was Cal Ripken Jr. Just the the, the mindset, the, the sheer luck, the physicality, the dedication, and then to do it. And I can just use all those words to do it for one season and be amazed. Like, wow, 162? To do that over 15 seasons? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it's it's craziness. And um, I just still think it's it should go down as one of the greatest sports feats of all of sports history. That's how mind-blowing it is because of the number of games that are coming at you. I mean, you got a bad back on a connecting flight, you're done, I mean, these things, I saw this happen all the time. People are like, oh yeah, I just stiffened up because I, I just slept wrong, or I got a stiff neck. or, And I mean, so, I mean, I remember my first time that I was professional, I was playing in the minor leagues, and I got sick at the hotel. I had like a hundred and something. I knew I had a fever and I was like, so I just called the team and said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to stay here at the hotel. I got a hundred, you know, I'm sick. I can't move. I got a fever, whatever. They're like, are you kidding? You need to come here. Like, why would we leave you at the hotel? We have the medical staff here. So I dragged myself out of bed, got to the training room. They laid me at the table, you know, Tylenol, whatever. And they were just trying to figure out a way to play. And even then I was like, how am I going to play this day? Um, and I did and I went 0 for 5 of course but just you know to do that in every circumstance so yeah I, I mean I could go on for 15 years to explain <laughs> but it's it's truly truly phenomenal and we should never really lose sight of how phenomenal it is and I don't know if anybody will break that record I just I don't see how that's possible
0: N- nobody's breaking that record <laughs> that's yeah. like that is done that is never happening uh Here's my memory that night. That was one of the most emotional nights I ever spent in a ballpark. And I honestly didn't expect that. Uh, I mean, think about it. Most of the time when you witness history, it happens when you don't expect it. This was an event that everyone expected because, you know, I walked into the park. I knew exactly what was going to happen that night. I knew exactly when it was going to happen, halfway through the fifth inning. I remember thinking, uh, was there anything about this that was going to be memorable at all, besides the magnitude of the record itself? And then everything changed. Halfway through the fifth inning, the game becomes official. And the, the only thing the Orioles did in that moment was unfurl a number on a warehouse wall 21 31 the number changes on the wall and then everyone in the park cried for the next 20 minutes it was unbelievable and i remember asking myself at the time i've asked myself many times since why did that happen you know why it happened doug because baseball's different in baseball, the history matters, and the numbers matter in a way that they don't matter in any other sport, right? Uh, that number connected the dots between Cal Ripken and Lou Gehrig, between that time and this other time, between that generation and this other generation. And I, I you tell me, is there any number in any other sport that could produce that reaction just by hanging on a wall. Go ahead, Doug. Give me one.
2: I, I don't. I don't even know. I think it was brilliant and genius, by the way, of the Baltimore Orioles to yes. think about how to commemorate that. That it just uh, it just unfurled right, and it and it's something about that yep. changing of the guard. That's like you know at the palace, Buckingham Palace, or something. I mean, there's royalty involved here, and baseball has that type of sensibility to our to our world in so many regards. But certainly those of us who love the game understand that is what we care so much about it. And and you think about 15 years, what that means. That's my entire career, right? Including the minor leagues. So And, and I always think of generations in baseball as like three to five years. There are these short periods of times where cultures shift around the game. There's stolen bases and then there's not. And there's the power and then there's not. And then there's the strikeouts and the walks and defense matters, and it doesn't. That happens in a short burst of time. Not only did he play that long, right, but he connected the dots through the cultural shifts of the game, and he did it without missing any of it, right? That's what it means. He didn't miss anything. He became the timeline of baseball. He became one and the same like nobody else in the entire history of the sport or any sport really has done, And uh, and I think when you mark time and you become time, that's something you can't explain. And yes, people were overwhelmed. I know Mark Smith was a. I played with him in Cape Cod, and you know the camcorders, the video recording, just being there. um, You know these are moments you'll never forget. So, I mean, and so I still feel that way about that moment. I still just think of it as so transformational. Yeah. And um, so I, yeah. So the short answer is. No, I, I, I don't see anything. I mean I don't see it.
0: Right. They, they nobody they didn't scream into the PA. Right. They didn't even put any they didn't even put a message up on the scoreboard initially. They just draped that number on the wall and people lost it. So like to me that says it all. Why do we care about baseball history? That's why because there's no other history like that in any other sport.
2: Yeah, and Jay, you know, one, one point to make is it's also, it's an everyday person's uh, connection to the game, right? I mean, it's the daily grind, the daily work. It didn't necessarily take this exceptional talent of 95 mile an hour fastball. It took a mind of steel, endurance, things that are kind of in reach in some ways, and then you see how impossible it is, but you think about workers across the country showing up at factories every day. That, that's the through line. And uh, I think we, we all connected to that in ways that were, like you said, unexpected, unexpected.
0: Uh, real beauty in that. All right, Doug, uh, that's going to end our streak of only the two of us talking on this podcast. Time to welcome in our very special guest, the human highlight reel, Ray's center fielder, Kevin Kiermeyer. Kevin, thanks for joining us here in Starkville.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, fellas. Let's do it. <laughs>
0: Let's do it is is exactly right. Now, your team has the best record in baseball of any team not named the Dodgers. And you guys <laughs> just had a 25-game stretch where you went 21-4. And uh, Kevin, you've been a Ray for a long time. You had never been on a any team that went 21 and four. So do you think there's a chance this could be the best raised team ever?
1: Ooh, ever. Um, I'm trying to, you know, I, I think the first thing that, that pops in my head is the 08 World Series team. And yeah. and honestly, I think, you know, the talent we had last year, 2019 team winning 96 games and, you know, getting beat by the Astros and the ALDS um, that team was, was very good with a ton of pitching, a ton of guys who could swing the bat, a lot of athleticism and speed and great defense. So, um, but th- this team this year, um, it's right there. We, we have just as much talent as what we had last year, if not more, um, our front office just has a way of acquiring guys that um, just produce year after year and, and good teammates, good quality people as well. Uh, we. We don't have them bad egg type of guys come in the clubhouse. Like we have good, good people. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think Doug could attest to this more being an ex-player and, and say, you know, little things like that go a long way when you have a certain camaraderie among a group. And when it's a true joy to show up to the field each and every day, and it has been even throughout this crazy year and i think i'm speaking for the majority of my teammates as well we enjoy seeing each other we enjoy competing with each other and once again little things like that go a long way and i think our record shows that we just have a lot of energy we have so much fun and and a lot of talent as well and i think that's just a dangerous recipe for success um <laughs> yeah, it, and, it and it we shows. have that yes yeah, it yes, so. like
0: you, i mean your your team is so much fun to watch and it, you know, it it has been a hallmark of Rays teams, and like you've been a Ray a long time now. Um, yeah, you were not a Devil Ray, right? <laughs> no,
1: I was. <laughs> no, I'm not a Devil Ray. I'm yeah, just but, Ray. a yeah, Ray. i have been a Ray. Yeah, but
0: you, you do go back to the days of Joe Madden and Andrew yep. Friedman. So now it's the Rays of Kevin Cash and Eric Neander. I, I'm curious, what what have you seen change, and what about the Rays is a constant?
1: Oh, boy, what if I, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, when I arrived, I made my debut in 13 for game 163 in the playoffs, and that, that was short, I mean, I popped champagne twice for my MLB debut, <laughs> but that was, that was, you know, my, it ended shortly after that with the Red Sox being us in the ALDS, so come 2014, my rookie year, when I started uh, stepping on the scene full-time, Um Joe Madden, uh, you know, he had a very relaxed atmosphere here um, and just wanted guys to, to show up and, and play with what they're capable of doing and, and uh, just go be yourself. And Longo and James Loney, Ben Zobris, Grant Balfour, guys like that, they wanted to keep, uh, you know, that, that same demeanor as well with, with the players and throughout the clubhouse. And then once Kevin Cash arrived he didn't want to change a whole lot because he knew we had a good thing going and guys enjoyed being um, on our team and having that relaxed feel and it was just all we asked of is that you don't cross the line and you just play the game the right way you play hard and no one's going to say anything to you and Kevin Cash has kept that mentality Uh, he's fun and loose with uh, how he manages each and every night but he knows when to turn on the game face at the same time because he is a he's a jokester. He loves talking trash to players all the time. It's fun, but uh, he, he he does a great job of of winning when to turn that game face on and and guys love it. Guys really do. Guys love playing here, um, and we've created that atmosphere throughout the years. And and once again, now that you know, once we acquired more talent as the years went on. Then, you know, we 2018-90 wins, last year 96, and this year, you know, we're one of the best teams in baseball. So we're doing something right. Um, but like I said, that's just a credit to the people who are here before us, but also maintaining that atmosphere throughout the clubhouse. And, and uh, you know, having a steady core now of guys the last couple of years, we know what to expect and we know we're really good. And uh, we know we're going to win ballgames. so that makes a life a lot better. And, and once again, guys are motivated, showing up to the field each and every day, and it's an absolute joy to be a part of.
2: Yeah, and Kevin, I mean, full disclosure: I interviewed for the 2014 raise job. So That's right, Kevin That's Cash. Right. <laughs> uh, so I would have been your manager, uh, but uh, we we move on. The uh, but so but Kevin Cash, I mean, you know the respect he had uh you know the the story goes anecdotally i think truthfully that the cleveland indians sort of helped him prep for his job yes <laughs> uh because he had so much respect and uh and that says a lot uh, but the the circumstances in 2020 are so different given uh what we're facing health crisis and the bubbles and the sort of bubbles and so what uh what has been different about cash in terms of how he addressed this season and still be able to be tremendously successful as opposed to previous years.
1: Yeah. I, it, you know, I go back to our week. We, he always has like a meeting right before opening day and and just kind of what, you know, we had a lot of team meetings during summer camp just with trying to deal with protocol and, and certain questions from a lot of different guys and then had all the crazy stuff going on um, in this world. Uh, so there was a lot of team meeting type of talks, but he uh, you know, would just ask us pretty much to, to follow everything that MLB and everyone's asking us to do to keep everyone safe, but still maintain that focus and that drive to know what's up uh, for us and, and with, with our clubhouse in particular, knowing how much talent we had. And we, we cannot forget how good of a team we got, uh, you know, dealing with all the craziness that 2020 has thrown at all of us.
0: Kevin, he he he's a much more fun guy to play for than Glanville would have been, don't you think?
1: Oh wow, <laughs> throwing Dougie under the bus like that? Yeah. No,
0: I'm not. Right. No, I know, <laughs> I know.
1: Good. Yeah, no, he's he's a fun well, personality. And, I mean, honestly, yeah. Yeah, you guys would probably be amazed by some of the things that he does or says, but it's all in good fun. It's his personality and. And, uh, you know, us players, we just say, hey, if you're going to sit here and throw it at us, you better be able to take it when we throw it back at you. And a <laughs> lot of guys, a lot of guys do. It's fun. It, there's some things that, um, you know, we don't cross the line with it, but there's probably some things players say to Cash that you probably couldn't say to any other manager throughout the game. But he just laughs at it. And uh, it's all uh, it's all good fun. So. Um, that's what he's about. And, yeah. and, you know, we win ball games, so I don't see that changing at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, Kev, I mean, one, the interesting thing is when I did interview, I mean, I'm not going to give away the raised like secret sauce, but literally I don't think there was a single question that was X's and O's, you know, it yeah. wasn't like, Hey, runner on second. Do you move? Most of the questions, if not all of them were about how you manage players. Yep. How do you get to know players? what you do in a situation if like a pitcher is upset when you take him out early in the game. I mean, it was really remarkable and it was very clear that they were looking for that sort of things, what you just described in Kevin Cash, like the personality, understanding people and how to implement systems that work. It's as opposed to, you know, okay, do you know like, you know how to run the bullpen? Because I know they have confidence in their algorithm. So I think it, you know, it definitely shows that that was the commitment for the Rays organization. Yeah.
1: And and obviously, you know, the end game strategy is 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 so vital, so important. We all know that. But um, I don't know. I just feel like we operate uh, differently. And once again, just those little, um, you know, personal conversations or uh, little things that you wouldn't think would go a long way like that. Uh, you know, our, our front office. You know, I, I, I've never been interviewed for a manager, so I can't sit here and tell you, uh, <laughs> you know, what goes along with that. But but obviously, you know, those guys are very intelligent, very smart, and, and they know what they want to have around to create a winning environment. And uh, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we we work in mysterious ways as an organization. We started the opener. We we do crazy shifts at times. Put you know, take a relief pitcher out, put them at first base bring them right back in and, and burn, you know, guys from the bench late in the games. We do crazy things, but they work time and time again. So we are very unorthodox with what we do, but dang it, we we win ball games out of it, and no one is ever going to question that.
0: If the season were to end right now, your team would play the Yankees in that best of three. And the Rays and the Yankees seem like they have a thing going on this year. Um, <laughs> right. Like you played them last week. Yeah. Aroldis Chapman threw that ball 101 past the head of Mike Brosseau And Yeah. Uh, then the benches cleared. Uh, you had some, some stuff to say after that game. I, I, I want to play some of yep. that for you. And okay. You tell me w- w- what point you were okay. trying to get across. Okay.
1: Phil Nevin once again their third base coach, just just always being that guy. that's all I'm gonna say on that. It is what it is. I, I've said it before, we don't like them, they don't like us. I don't know how close that pitch to Brasso's head was for Chapman, but uh, you know, it was ninety nine miles per hour and that's not that's not the way to do it. I don't know if it got away. I don't know if there's intent, who knows? Yeah, so um, Go ahead. <laughs> you know, it, it this goes back to couple a couple years ago or a few years ago maybe 2017 where um I I don't remember the order sequence they hit some of our guys we hit some of theirs um and it wasn't even with intent. it it was trying to just you know throw inside and you need to do that with with some of their guys like judge and you know now LeMahieu and these guys who are such good hitters you gotta you can't let them try to get the barrel to the ball all the time. And sometimes it's throwing in and, and, you know, people are going to get hit and uh, CC Sabathia hit some of our guys on purpose. And and, um, we had a situation where one got away from one of our guys and, and, you know, it went to that up and in territory, which we're not trying to do, but it happened. And it just created bad blood throughout the years. And it kind of went on for a while. And then we had the thing last week, happened with brusso and um you know we we took uh, a lot of offense to that and you know if you're gonna do something like that um going you know to the head is is something that uh you know we know we're playing a baseball game we know we're competing things get heated at times but um you know that's the territory where you can end someone's career and uh you know it could be worse than that as well obviously with with health issues, someone throwing a hundred miles per hour at, um, you know, getting him in the head, but emotions were high. It's one of those things. It's, it's squashed. Now we, we've kind of, um, you know, put that out there where we said, we just want to play baseball and we don't want this to carry over anymore. But, you know, I, I still will, will, will stand by what I said. They don't like us. We don't like them. That that's true. But, you know, throughout the heat of a game in, in, in baseball, uh, you know, that's just, that's baseball. Who, I mean, I feel like the game now is, is very buddy, buddy. You see a lot of guys, you know, someone will hit a go-ahead double and, and, you know, shortstop or second baseman are over greeting that guy who just hit a go-ahead double. And you know, the game, the game has changed. It has. And, and I, uh, and I'm not going to say I agree with that, but, uh, everyone tries to be buddy, buddy. Uh, and you have guys on the other team who you like, whatever, but, it's got to the point where, um, you know, I feel like we're getting away from that, that old school go about it, where it's like, who cares about the opposition? And, and I, I surely don't. And, and I say that with, with a lot of respect to my opposition, but I want to see everyone go for four or four strikeouts on the opposition. I want to, you know, even my good buddies, I want to see them get out time and time again, cause I want to win ball games. but, uh, things got heated. They did. And, um, once again, though, that's just the the, the heat of competition and, and what happens throughout the game, and you're just trying to have your players backed, uh, vice versa, and uh, things got away, got heated, but I, I think it's over with, I do, and uh, you know we've we we're eight and two against them this year, we've we've won at a very good clip against them, and I think that was frustrating for them, and they were just trying to find ways to get us out of our game, and. And, uh, you know, we prevailed in that last game. Brasso hits two homers uh, the day after he got thrown behind his head, 101. And, uh, you know, that was the best medicine we could have provided for the Yankees in, in that moment. So it was uh, it was great to see.
0: You, you, you know, you talked about Phil Nevin chirping
1: from the mm-hmm. dugout.
0: And uh, in, in a season where there are no fans, do you hear stuff <sighs> said from the other dugout that you would never oh, have yeah otherwise?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's very – It's very easy. Uh, you know, no matter who we're playing it, it's very easy to to hear all the chirps and that happens. I mean, that's going to happen no matter what. And we all knew that. And that's why we were, a lot of us were really, uh, when crowd noise wasn't going to official at the time, uh, once it was being negotiated or whatever, we're, we're hoping something happened because it would just be constant hearing every little thing without the crowd noise being pumped in. So, Uh, You know, that's what that's what players do. That's what, um, you know, people voice their opinions. And sometimes, you know, people get mad at each other and say certain things. So um, and and without fans, everything is just under a microscope a lot more now because it's just so easy to hear uh, each and everything uh, with with no fans and and just being much quieter in the ballpark. So Tensions are going to rise. You're going to hear certain things. Um, it's just part of the game. It really is. Uh, life goes on, and, and uh, you know, that's baseball.
0: So, suppose you were to play the Yankees in that first round. Would mm-hmm. that be the must-see series of October?
1: Oh, it, it, um, it'd be one of them. Um, <laughs> I think a three-game series, anything could happen. And Obviously, with us having the, the history we do, everyone would always bring up these questions that, that you just asked, rightfully so, and... Um, yeah, I think it'd be worth a, um, worth a good watch and you never know what can happen. But uh, like I said, we just, we want to, we just want to play baseball. That's what we're here to do. Um, Try to compete against the best of the best teams and, and try to beat those teams. So whoever we're up against, um, you know, we'll take it, but (laughs) definitely could uh, we'll see. We'll see how things uh, play out and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to, to good matchups later down the road.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kevin, one thing you mentioned I thought was interesting about the fraternization, the sort of camaraderie, friendship. And I know we're in a very unusual time where you're just happy to see like colleagues into play. But uh, I, I think back to my rookie year and I had a coach like Tony Muser. He was just like old yeah. school, is, you know, for old schoolers. And they would fine us if we were talked too long yep. to the other team yep. at all, any, I anywhere. I love that. And Jim Rig- and Jim Riggleman was actually really a very mellow, chill guy. Started off, he had us running diagonally during our sprints in the outfield before the pregame because he said if you okay. meet in center field, people talk. So he had us running really? towards the gaps. <laughs> okay. Um, so I mean, it was it was yeah. no joke. So I think the I think the tough thing, you know, you mentioned the. You know, with the you know the tit, tit for tat back and forth. I know the thing I say a lot as a hitter is, co- pitchers have too much confidence about how much command they have is one, but also how much they anticipate where a hitter may go to yes. get out of the way. Yes. Right? You just yeah. don't know. True. I mean, you think, and and you know, you mentioned the signs yeah. with the cardboard cutouts we were talking earlier. We should yep. bring that back about not picking yep. up the ball. If you don't pick up the ball for a split second. Oh, yeah you know, that, you know, at that velocity. So,
0: um, you know, so I I, I hear you on that. And, and you know, you're one of those players that I would pay just to watch play defense. Of course, this is a year where you can't pay to watch anybody play anything. (laughs) Good
1: point, (laughs) good point.
0: You know, I I think about those those plays you make, those, I, I said you were the human highlight reel, those human highlight reel plays you make. You make them, there's nobody there there's no reaction. <laughs> yeah. How how strange is that?
1: It is. It is uh strange. Um you know, you you sit here, whether it's you know, you making the player one of your teammates or the opposition, you, you're we're so used to, you know, oohs and ahs from the crowd and and uh you know, guys getting really excited in the dugout, but we're we're that's the element in the game that is somewhat missing this year. Obviously, I think everything is just taken down a couple of notches. Uh, excitement after home runs, uh, big plays. And obviously, you know, there's still times where guys are going to get so excited. But the, the crowd just brings out a different animal than all of us. It does. It just gives you a certain buzz throughout the ballpark. And uh, whenever you do make a, a play, it's just like making a play on the backfield in the spring training complex. Uh, you know, there's wow. no one there to to see it or get a reaction. But you know what? It's the same for all thirty teams out there. We know what we're going up against, so it's okay. But um, I'd be lying if I said it definitely wasn't a little bit weird and quirky without, uh, you know, hearing a reaction from thousands of people after a great play is made. So that's okay, though. Um, you know, just pump the crowd noise in a little bit louder, <laughs> hit the volume button up a little, couple times, mm-hmm. and uh, try to make as normal as can be for us
0: those cardboard people they, they just don't care right they don't care what you're doing yeah
1: you know they <laughs> they, they, they don't talk they don't talk expression. a lot of trash um they're, <laughs> they're pretty quiet for the most part not giving us too hard of a time but like i told you guys earlier it's not always easy to see um when they're sitting right behind home plate and the the outer trim on it is uh you know white cardboard so hard to see some low line drives and whatnot so i, I could go without that but Hey, we're, we're trying to, to give everyone, uh, as much of a baseball feel as possible. And sometimes you, you kind of forget that, uh, it's not real people out there are back there behind home plate or in the stands anywhere. Um, so that's why the cardboard cutouts are a thing. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're all, we're all somewhat used to all that has gone on thus far and, uh, it's not going to change. So we just got to stay ready each and every day. And, and deal with the cardboard cutouts and, and, uh, you know, the fake trash talk coming from them as well. (laughs) Hey, Explain
0: that for a second though. I mean, we, we understand that that outfielders sometimes lose balls in the crowd, but now you, it, it, you're actually having a hard time finding the ball against the backdrop of the imaginary crowd.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the two places that stick out to me are, and I'm not throwing these places under the bus. I promise you, we all knew this was going to be a thing, but Atlanta and Buffalo, um, where the blue Jays are at it, they just had a ton right behind home plate and not everyone has that. Um, there's, I think just the select, or maybe half of the teams have them like directly behind home plate. But, uh, when we went to Atlanta, I noticed during the game that it was uh, very, very difficult to to try to see line drives or just the ball off the bat. And our infielders were saying the same thing. So it, even though we're trying to, you know, make a a normal feel for all of us, sometimes it, it, it doesn't always make it the easiest at the same time. And there are certain places that are just tough to get a read in general, but um, with certain color of uh, cardboard cutouts and a lot of them, uh, you know, right on top of each other, it is very difficult to see at times. But, uh, you know, each team has to has to deal with it. So there's not a advantage or disadvantage for anyone. It's an even playing field. But uh, like I said, it, it's not always the um, best feeling when you're sitting here trying to, you know, find – try to see where this dirty white ball is going and and when it's blending in with all these uh, cardboard cutouts there in the back. But uh, it's not too big of a deal, but some some places are tougher than others. I'll say that.
2: Yeah. And Kev, I mean, part of, um, you know, and you're mentioning some of the subtleties of defense and how, you know, that jump or that first read can be so key. Uh, You've been known to, you know, we talk about the great plays, but the depth by which you play. And, and so a lot of your great plays are consequential balls, yep. right? They're, they're plays that are doubles and triples. They're not, you know, as many singles. You're taking away extra base hits, home yep. runs even. Uh, what that, How's that progress? Since I know we, we talked, I think it was a yeah. three or four years ago, opening day, but how's that progress for you in terms of the depth and the analytics in terms of moving around with all the yeah. shifting
1: defenses? And, you know, we, we – yeah. uh, each and every night we always get a card just for a reference of, uh, you know, where we're going to play guys, um, you know, where they're most likely to hit the ball. So that's where we're always going to position. But I, I always tell our guys and, you know, I've voiced this to the coaching staff and people over the years, hey, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the card, but I'm going to always go off my instincts no matter what. And I say that like if they're telling – if the card is, you know, telling me to, to ship Aaron Judge to right center – I'm not saying I'm going to go play heavy shift to left field. I'm not going to do that, but if it's, you know, says deep six, deep eight, deep 10, um, you know, I'm going to go off of where I feel like I should play in that general area. Um, given the game situation, or pitcher, uh, you know, how is this particular person swinging the bat, you know, against us recently, or I take all those, those things into, uh, into effect and 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 that's why i uh, play where i do on each individual hitter and we're always just trying to give ourselves the best possible chance but i feel like you know I, i've been blessed with great instincts from the start but i feel like i've developed them as the years went on and you learn and, and figure certain things out after uh you know again experience under your belt so for me i i feel like i i don't play deep i don't play shallow i just play all over wherever I base my decision off each given hitter and uh you know I'm very confident on going back on balls I'm very confident on coming in on the low line drives and I just try to always find that happy medium where it's like okay how can how can I maximize my range on on a ball where I think you know could be hit in front of me behind me but still give myself a chance and and try to make a play right now um and I could sit here and go on and on about all this but uh long story short in a nutshell i I base my decisions off each and every hitter uh as far as depth how far i'm shifting uh going against what the card says and and i think i've earned that right to go off my instincts with what i've done on that side of the game especially and uh you know our our coaching staff would would uh agree with me and say the same thing and and i'm glad i've earned that right
0: you you know my my other favorite thing about watching you play center field is you you have this quality of fearlessness yep. about you. You you know you've got this voice in your head that says this ball's got to be caught, you know? yeah and it doesn't matter what gets in your way, you're going to catch it. And I'm curious where that comes from. Have you always had that? Did you get it from playing other <laughs> sports?
1: Yeah, uh, you know what?
0: quality for a center fielder. I,
1: yeah, I've always uh I just feel like I've always had that knack playing football, basketball, baseball, my my whole life. I just feel like I would always get a bunch of steals playing basketball. I got a lot of interceptions playing free safety. And I feel like a lot of times I know where the ball is going to be hit in a, in a particular direction when I'm out there on a baseball field. And like I said, I just think that's something I've been blessed with and I've enhanced it over the years. And, uh, You know, I I take so much pride in in what I do out there. And I think I'm, um, you know, realistically speaking, I just think I'm in a very unique position because I think I'm one of the better defensive outfielders who have ever been on a, a big league field as far as outfield defense goes. And I think you could put me up against anyone I think if you disagree I, I think the reason is you just haven't watched enough games of of ours or anything but I, I know my numbers and everything will back it up and I know I'll pass the eye test and whatnot but I just feel like I, I know what my skill set is and I want to be the best I can possibly be all around in baseball but I, I have a certain special skill set out there on the defensive side of the game where I feel like I can separate myself from others so that's why I want to catch each and every ball out there uh, make plays that other players wouldn't be able to and I, I just want to be special as I can be out there and and, and that's why I, I handle myself the way I do and um, you know train in the offseason each and every day because I want to have that elite reputation for as long as possible and it means a lot to me and I don't ever want people to say, Oh man, this guy's falling off or uh, boy. He's lost a step. I don't, I don't want that. And I, um, each year, you know, if I can sit here and and have stat class clock me at a hundred miles per hour and, and, you know, be in the top sprint (laughs) speed in the league. Um, I know I'm I'm doing everything right to give myself a chance to stay in that, uh, top tier of, uh, outfield defense. And, And like I said, that means the world to me. And, if I don't have that, then I'm not the player that, um, you know, when when I'm at my best. So that's why I do what I do out there, and and I love doing it.
0: You, you know, I want to ask if you have a, a favorite play or a favorite catch you've ever made. But <clears throat> first, I wanted to play you my favorite catch of yours. Okay. it's the one in Baltimore to rob Manny Machado. I think it yep. was like 2015. Yep, uh, we we've got the we've got the play by play. This, let's hear it
3: center field Kiermaier is going to go to the wall he's going to have to leave and that ball is caught by Kiermaier Kiermaier robbing
4: Machado of a home run for the first down here in the bottom of the first wow what a catch by Kiermaier
1: yeah that play that play will always have a a special place in my heart Um, you know that 2015 was my first full season in the big leagues. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to, um, win a platinum in a gold or a gold glove in a platinum glove. And I think that play right there was what solidified, um, you know, me getting the platinum glove, which is, you know, given to one of the nine candidates who won the gold glove in in each league. And, um, that, I think that play just kind of capped everything off for me uh late August early September I think that was and uh boy I'll, it's something I'll never forget and you know even after I made that play I you know sometimes you surprise yourself as a player every now and then and right there I knew I could make that play but looking back on it and you know seeing how high I got above that that small short Baltimore fence to make it look a lot better <laughs> than what it actually was um <laughs> you know just just capped off a, a great, great year for me defensively as my first full season in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, it, it set the precedent for me, and that's why I, I want to, you know, give myself a shot winning those gold gloves each and every year because, I, I, you know, you want re- certain recognition as a player in certain things. And I, I like getting recognized for what I do out there defensively because that's my bread and butter. And, uh, you know, those awards mean a lot to me.
0: You know, you said you'll never forget it. You'll never be able to forget it because Chris Archer gave you a painting of it. I was in spring training the, the next year, and I, I was there for that.
1: Yep, yeah, that that's still hanging up in my office at my house in Tampa, and uh, I look at it all the time. And my gold gloves are right next to it. So, um, cool. Yeah, it, it's fun, and it, it's something that you know I can always look back on and, and just try to relive that. But that that play will definitely always be no matter what happens from here on out i got to keep in my top three no matter what so um and do it off a guy like manny machado makes it that much sweeter because uh <laughs> you know heck of a player and i'll be able to tell my grandkids about that one day
0: and yeah, wait there's there you have plays ranked above that one
1: i i robbed a oh, i robbed a <laughs> homer in san diego last year that i degree of difficulty oh, was, was the toughest it's the mejia play yes right? wow Wow, good for you, Jason. That is that's impressive. Oh, yeah. But that was the <laughs> that was degree of difficulty. That was the toughest play in my career. That absolutely rang my bell. Um, boy, that that did not feel good on on the old cabeza. That means head in Spanish. Um, <laughs> but I think that was the best play of my career. And uh, you know, I got a, I got a few others in there, but um, you know, definitely that Mejia robbed Homer and Machab, uh, Machado. Rob Homer will always uh, you know, be up there for me.
2: Look, I mean, Kev, um well, one thing I, I keep going back to the twenty fourteen interview for the raised job. <laughs> but I actually the point of this one is I so I won't even throw okay. their name out there, but some of the leaders in Rays baseball, once you signed your yep. multi year contract, uh, I asked about it and they said we really appreciate analytics for this reason because a player like kevin kiermeyer will never be underappreciated again and i thought that was really indicative of how well the analytics have served on the defensive side uh which was something that you know wasn't that prevalent. yeah
1: and uh i i tell people all the time where i hope they keep making defensive stats i hope uh they're they keep getting more and more developed because they help guys like me and other players who can compare themselves to me where there's a lot more gloves than bat. And uh, you know, for, for some of us, that's just the way it is, but to have the value of taking away a run, being just as important as driving in a run is uh, is huge. And it really is. You just watch, you know, close ball games where you win one or two runs and someone makes a diving play uh, with two outs with runners on second and third, Uh, in a box score will never show how valuable a play like that was, but it can be an outcome of a, of many ball games throughout the year, what you do out there on the defensive side of the game. So for myself, selfishly speaking, the other guys that can compare themselves to me, you know, more glove than bat. um, You know, us guys are hoping they keep making all these defensive metrics each and every year. Last year, they came up with this one uh, best like outfield jumps and, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to be number one in that category as well. And I said, Hey, just keep making, you know, keep developing these certain things throughout the years. And I probably like, I will not be mad about it one bit because once again, (laughs) it's great that it's, um, you know, the analytics are are favoring defense a lot more now than what they were five years ago, especially 10 years ago. Um, You know, and for me to, to pretty much be rewarded for, you know, get a contract for what I do out there defensively and, and, uh, you know, anything I do offensively is a bonus. And obviously, um, you know, you want to see that as well. But uh, I think it's great for the game. And, and I hope that I've helped and I've, I hope I help uh, other players throughout the league with, uh, you know, certain things are setting the bar as far as contracts and stuff like that go. But, uh, yeah, I love playing defense. I, I could talk about it all day. So, um, you know, it's fun for me.
0: You, you you want a metric? I'll give you a metric. Let's hear it. Uh, since your rookie year, you're 45 <laughs> runs ahead of any other outfielder in the game in defensive runs. 45.
1: Yeah. And, That'll work. you know, I, I love hearing stuff like that. But the competitive side of me, the part that I'll think of forever is I missed 50, at least mm. at least 45 games from 2016 17 and 18 I missed I was on the 60-day DL 17 and 18 in 2016 I missed 45 games so three years in a row I had three major injuries and I know I could have had at least probably another 150 games played out of those three years and I'll think of that forever because uh like I said, you, you, you know, you sit here and tell me that since 2014, I have 45 more runs saved. And the part of me is, you know, great. I'm so happy that, um, people mention that to me, but another part of me is saying, wow, what could a, you know, what could my numbers be or what could I have done if I didn't get severely injured three years in a row where I missed so much time. And I'll, I'll think of that till the day I die. And I don't, um, you know, it's it's not on my mind uh, constantly where I'm like, oh, man, I regret this so much. I, I play the game hard and, and injuries are going to happen. I don't play to get hurt, but I play to win. And, and sometimes, you know, you're you're going to get bumps and bruises for or You're going to go on the I.L., uh, but I only know one speed and, and those things are going to happen. But I'll always think of that forever. What if I had another 150 games while I'm in the prime of my career playing you know, great defense out there. You know what? What could my numbers be? How many more runs could I save throughout that time? Where I feel like I could have a lot more separation and uh, yeah. But that—that's just the way I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Kevin, remember when we did that interview? You and Adam Jones, I think, were opposite, right? He—he he was the shallowest, yeah. average depth and center. And yeah, you were the deepest. Uh, and, and I used to talk to him a lot, this back and forth. Uh, you know, one story that tells me how old I had gotten <laughs> was uh, I interviewed Albert Almora Jr. Yep. in spring training this year. And um, I went into this long explanation of how I learned to get jumps from Jimmy Pearsall. And Pearsall would have you like leaning in and anticipating. So I was like a couple steps in when yep. the ball was yep. in the zone. I mean, I was gone. And I was, so I was excited to say, oh, Albert, what do you do? I mean, what what is the training like? How do-? And he's he's like, well, I don't, you know, with the analytics today, yeah. I'm already there, I I'm already in spot. So he, yeah, he just like it's like, what was my yeah. life for, well, you yeah. know? So I'm thinking about jumps, but how how that influenced you? Because they're yeah. positioning you where the ball is going to be. So you, sometimes your yes. jumps take yes. you away and, from and the I, spot. I uh,
1: I totally understand what he's saying, but but obviously, still at the same time, it's not like the ball is going to be hit at us every time, and sometimes it is, but you still have to. Reactor, you know go run 110 feet to the gap to make a play um, I, I know you know I'm one of those guys when I when I sit here and tell guys uh, I, I know if you're focused each and every pitch, or I know if you're doing the right things based off foul balls like I can sit here and you know if I'm shading right center on a guy uh, a right-handed batter and he fouls one straight back but more towards like the first base side and he just missed it and I you know, what I do, just off instincts, I would break towards like right center gap and I would take two or three hard steps because I'm sitting here, like hitting my gloves, saying, Dang it, I know if he would have put that ball in play, it would have went right here and I would have had a perfect read on it. But those are the little things where I know that I'm locked in and I'm focused and I have the right mindset. And I saw Manny Margot do the same thing the other day when he was playing right field and there was a righty up and he hit the a foul ball to the uh, opposite field side, but straight back. And Manny, I broke that way towards right center, and he broke towards the right field line, which the ball would have went there. And I gave, you know, I just started clapping and saying, "Hey, Poppy, you know, great job um, on that read because that's what you want to see out of all your outfitters." And I think the best outfitters in the game do that. You know, there's little things like that that the uh, fan or even a lot of baseball people might not realize how important little things like that are. But I think those are what elite defenders do. And I, and I know that I'm right where I need to be whenever I react like that. And I take a lot of pride in getting those great jumps. And you know, those are just little things that uh, go along with it. Hey, Let's
0: change the subject just for a minute here. I, uh, I talked to Tom Couston, who's the scout beside you and he, he told me a great story about how, uh, the Rays were approaching the draft and he didn't have a time for you <laughs> running to first base. So he goes to this game and you wind up walking four times in the game. Right? So then he told me before the fourth walk, he actually went up to you before you hit and told you, even if you walked, you needed to run full speed to first base. So a true story?
1: True story. True story, fellas. <laughs> I'm at my junior college. Um, parkland junior college in champaign illinois and uh you know i was a guy who had no intention of playing pro baseball whatsoever and then i I met tom couston in a gymnasium on a cold snowy december night my freshman year uh first time i've ever talked to a pro scout in my life couldn't believe it anyways uh you know i i play great my freshman year i never get drafted um and then i go uh, you know, thinking, hoping to get drafted my sophomore year, and I'm always in contact with, with Tommy. And I, every time I saw him in the stands, I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta perform because this guy likes me, and I want to show him everything I got. And, uh, yeah, he went to a game, and he needed a time. And, of course, you know, I walk my first three plate appearances, and he's over there on the first, like I get on first, and he's right there on the fence, like right past their dugout. And he has a stopwatch, and he's he's mouthing to me, I need a time. Like, I need a time on you. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, I've walked three times. What am I supposed to do? Like, what? So my my last at bat of the game, I get to a 3-0 count, and I'm just like, whatever. These guys are going to walk me again probably. Um, this was when I used to rake back in college. So teams didn't want to throw to me a whole lot. <laughs> so I walked, and I just – put my bat or I just threw my bat down and just sprinted sprinting through first base on a walk and he looked over at me and his me thumbs up and uh, I don't know what my time was but I was busting it down line everyone in the park was probably thinking wow this kid is um, hard to root for after doing something like that uh, but little did they know I was trying to impress a pro Scout and just trying to do anything I could to maybe have my name called later that summer. By a professional team, and uh, you know that was the team that drafted me later. So maybe that's what set him over the top. Who knows? But I know I had to do yeah. something to give that guy what he wanted.
0: All right, Kevin, we can't let you go without playing America's favorite game: Know Your Rays trivia. Ooh. Okay, we'll start. Uh. Start with an easy one. Uh, you you mentioned this earlier in the show. You're the first game you ever played for the Rays. It's game 163 of the season. Yep. Kevin Kiermaier makes his debut, but you were the third center fielder for the Rays in that game. Can you name the first two?
1: I'm going to say Desmond Jennings and Sam Fold.
0: Ding, 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 ding. Yep. You got a bell there, nice. Tim? Super. Yeah, oh, that, that was, was great team. Awesome. Both great. Yep. Uh, okay. i going to make these a little tougher now. Since you've been a Ray, you and Evan Longoria played the most games for the Rays. Who has played the third most? Want me to do mm. these multiple choice? Well, no,
1: I don't. I don't think I, I need it. I think it's Ben Zobris, but I think he's played more games than me.
0: Uh, it's a- actually Logan Forsyth.
1: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Got, hold on. Ben, hold on. Ben Jason. got traded
0: to the Royals. Hold on Jason.
1: Hold on, Jason. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there.
0: All right, let's. Is this career games? This. this is no. This is since you have been with the Rays.
1: Since oh oh oh, since I've been with the Rays.
0: Yes.
1: Oh man. Yeah. Uh yeah. We're See, look, look. my my brain didn't process that the right way. So I yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Logan Forsythe.
0: That is correct. That is Golly. absolutely correct. You you know your Rays trivia. Golly.
1: I, yeah, sorry. I, I misinterpreted the question. That makes a lot of sense, though.
0: Uh, and Ben Zobrist has not played the most games in Rays history. No,
1: I would say he's, he's probably, third. yeah, second or third.
0: He's third. All right, so you want to guess who's ahead of him? This is a totally improvised know your Rays question. I'm going to guess Longo <laughs> and BJ. <laughs> Uh, Longo is correct. Bj is fourth. Oh, who's Carl, number two? Carl Crawford. Carl, Carl Crawford. Crawford, yes, sir. Yeah. Carl Crawford. We'll see, see. This man knows his Rays. This man knows his Rays trivia. All right, I'll, I'll yeah. give you one more. It's now. the only this, organization
1: I've been with, fellas. What else do I know? <laughs> I don't know anything <laughs> he, else. <he's>, uh, <laughs>
0: right, I've been in the drop. They put these things up on the scoreboard. So yeah. All right. What? All right. This is. We'll do a little Gold Glove trivia. Then we'll let okay. you run. Okay. You. You've won three Gold Gloves. Who's the last American League center fielder to win four of them?
1: I want to say my boy, Adam Jones. Has Adam won four? I believe Adam Ad-
0: has won three. I- uh,
1: I'm either going to go with Adam. So if it's not Adam Jones, I got to go with uh, another um, great guy, Torrey Hunter.
0: Tori is correct. I- Wait. Oh, wait. You you got this, right? Did I beat the computer? Adam won three in a row, but he... he, You did. Adam... Adam, You beat the computer. Adam won three in a row, but he won a fourth earlier in his career that I missed. So it's my bad.
1: that's
0: okay. Kevin Kiermaier is just crushing. Know your Rays trivia. Know your gold glove trivia. We got to let this man go. He's better trivia than us, Doug.
1: You know, I always just (laughs) wish I could have applied my my baseball memory to... uh, you know, math class. I could never remember math equations, but I can remember the most random baseball things ever. But I guess that's just how I'm operated.
0: Well, you fit right in on this podcast, man. <laughs> oh yeah, you're in the right place. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, hey, Kevin, it's been so much fun having you, man. I just, when you get back to Florida, you have to promise to go. Grab a big grouper sandwich in honor of me and Doug, yeah. okay? All
1: right, you and Dougie right. grouper sandwich it is. I'm gonna see grouper. if I can break our uh, our Matrix computer tonight and see if I can find myself into our lineup tonight and break that computer.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, Kevin, great, great to have you. Thanks so yeah, much man. for stopping no. by. All right, thanks, thanks fellas. Thanks for having I appreciate
2: me. Appreciate it, man
3: hey starkville evil mayor tim here our sponsor today manscaped has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported manscaped offers precision engineered tools for trimming the Premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, deodorant, and the Crop Reviver toning spray. Both super practical, and they smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, When you order the perfect package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of my favorite parts to the collection. The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. Pair these Boxer Briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like Crop Preserver and you're ready for anything. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20 from moose to the caboose. Always use the right tools for the job.
0: All right, Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast. It's listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Once again, this week, we are literally involving you. Uh, I don't know about you, Doug. I'm actually feeling a lot better now about this whole concept of bringing in the listeners to join us on the show and ask the trivia question live, and that's because last week a miracle happened. We finally got one of these questions right. Uh, Doug, why don't you remind the people how we were doing in this format until that happened last week?
2: Yes, we were on the way of setting a Starkville record for (laughs) most... Erroneous answers, yeah. uh, and they want they want to abide by my half credit thing. So we were zero and eight. We were we were zero and eight. We had eight consecutive uh, weeks of defeat, and then out of the shadows, it all came, and we had uh, a Jackie Robinson inspired question that put us over the top. Who had number forty two? Uh, uh, it Was Marian Rivera was the last one, and then who else? <laughs> He was the second last, right? Second last, is that right, yeah. So we yeah. did get this correct. It was Mo Vaughn, and I threw Bush, Butch Husky in there. So just the, just the background, he's going to give multiple answers. I'm going to give completely different answers because our two heads count as one, and that's the way we
0: still went 0 and 8. So no, no threat Look, there. All I know is we were on the road to erroneosity. Now it's uh, <laughs> listeners 8, us theoretically knowledgeable hosts 1. So I think we're on a roll now. What do you think, Doug? We are.
2: This is a a streak. One's a roll,
0: right? One is a a streak, absolutely. Okay. Well, on that note, it's time to welcome in this week's lucky guest trivia contestant, Adam Ryder. Adam, welcome to Starkville.
4: Thank you for having
0: me. Great to have you. Now, judging from your Twitter feed, looks like you're a Connecticut guy like Doug. Did I get that right?
4: Yes, sir born so and that raised would,
0: all right that would make you a fan of whom exactly
4: uh that would be the new york mets i've been to a game uh, with i think one year notwithstanding this year of course also notwithstanding uh i've been to at least one game one met game every year with my father since 1996 that's tremendous yeah
0: this is this is going to break a lot of streaks this year unfortunately <laughs> um hey you know adam since um I have to say, since we've been inviting people to ask these, these trivia questions live on the show, I'm pretty sure nobody has been more tireless in submitting a bunch of fun questions than you. How, how many weeks in a row do you think you've tweeted a question at us?
4: Uh, I would put the over under at about six and a half. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I tried going back and even I couldn't find uh, the, the, the exact first time.
0: Yeah, okay, I'm going to take the over, but uh, how, how sure were you before this week that this magic moment was never going to arrive
4: for you? How sure was I that it wasn't going to arrive? I was, yeah. I, I was starting to think that it might not. I mean, you <laughs> mentioned you know, the, the fun, timely questions and the question that I had submitted, the same exact question, I think five of those weeks was more on the fun side than the timely side. Uh, So this Mm -hmm. week, you asked for something uh, that was a little more timely given recent events. So I uh, went back through the glorious depths of the internet and found something a little more timely as well.
0: Very good. And um, just want to reassure you that just because we didn't bring you on the show before now, we still love folks like you. We were not ignoring you. We just get (laughs) lots of cool questions. But the good news is. Your diligence has finally been rewarded, my friend. And now yes, here comes your chance to finally embarrass us <laughs> through the miracle of Twitter and podcasting. So, Adam, what is your question?
4: The late, great Tom Seaver won at least 75 games for two different teams. There are two active pitchers with at least 75 wins for two different teams. And a third active pitcher, two victories shy of joining that club as well. Who are the two who have done it, and who is the third man a mere two victories shy?
0: Okay. Uh, Three pitchers with at least. 73 wins for, t- for two different yes. teams just, yeah, yeah th- this is one of those questions that started out being one question it became a, th- a second question that's <laughs> what yeah but i
2: think like. we get to answer all three and <laughs> we, it then it doesn't matter if we get which one right right we can just lump uh, them all let's together let's go maybe. with that um <laughs> all right i, I yeah, should mention
0: that, that like we did get uh an incredible number of great questions this week but we decided that We wanted to pay homage to Tom Seaver, so we shamelessly admitted up front that a Seaver question was going to be the winner this week. This was a great one. So now we have to figure out what is the answer. I'm sure of one of them. Max Scherzer has to be one of them. He has to have 75 for the Tigers and the Nationals. So, all right, who are the other two? John Lester seems like he should be one. Red Sox, Cubs... Mm -hmm. But he might not be at 75 with the Cubs yet, so he might be the one getting close to 75. We've already decided we don't care. (laughs) So uh, Lester, I think, could be one. And then who? So let me look at my list here. I have uh, Zach Granke, Royals and Dodgers, or Royals and Diamondbacks maybe. Justin Verlander, uh, Tigers, but has he been an Astro long enough? David Price, I'm not even sure if he's still active. Uh thought about Cole Hamels. Phillies and Rangers, not sure he was in Texas long enough. But I stumbled upon a good one. Rick Porcello feels like a good stumper to me. Tigers, Red Sox. So I'm going to guess Scherzer, Lester, Porcello. Let's sit off the top of my head. Doug, what do you got?
2: Nicely work. I'll try to I'll try to condense my thinking here. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you all the way on Scherzer, Lester. I like those choices. But of course, since we get bonus guests here, <laughs> if, if we're allowed, we, we so I, I I was gonna throw Verlander in the mix. Uh, maybe he hasn't been there that long. Um, I, you said Purcell already. Okay, Hamels is really interesting. Granky. I also thought about like Chris Sale. Anibal Sanchez, you know, he might sneak mm. in there. And even like Johnny Cueto, like what's his story? He's been around forever. Mm. Or is it like Edwin Volquez or some something crazy? All right, yeah, so uh, oh, I'm going to go Verlander.
0: I <sighs> like the Anibal Sanchez. It's another stumper. It's a sneaky one, right? Yeah. Uh, Verlander,
2: Granky. And then, yeah, I got to throw, let's say, ooh, Cole Hamels. Nah, he's kind of been hurt. Phillies, Cubs, nah, I'm not gonna go Hamels. Uh, where did Cueto pitch again? Reds and well, then he was Giants. Yeah, he's been, yeah, he's Giants, been hurt. But I
0: don't see how he got to seventy. All right, Sanchez,
2: we'll go. Anibal Sanchez. There's a lot of Tigers not here. Verlander. All right, I, I, you know what? And Zach Greinke. That's okay. it. All right, Final
0: Adam, answer. I I think there's actually a good chance we got this. Um, so, but you'll be the one to tell us now. Is there any chance it's some combination of uh, Scherzer, Lester, Porcello, <laughs> Verlander, Gr- Granky, and Sanchez?
4: One of you did get all three of them exactly. And oh, Mr. That's, that's Stark, it is easy. you. Really? That's, that's, yes. Rick, Rick yeah. Porcello's right? Rick Porcello had good. 76 wins for the Tigers and 73 wins for the the Boston Red Sox.
0: Oh, wow, he's the close one. Oh, I thought Lester man.
2: might be the close one. Nice.
0: Well, just it, it, because uh, you said the, the that the third guy was cl- like closing in on it, I don't. He yeah, can't. It, unless you have to get traded back to the Red Sox to get the seventy five. <laughs> so. Never, n- never but, say but, never.
2: I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah that's never. true. And, and, like whatever.
0: <laughs> wait we got it right two, <laughs> two, two right. in a row.
2: That, that, I don't even know what to call. You can't even call a streak. You, you need to call it dynasty when you get the two in a row. That's Di- like yeah, Doug, we should level. retire
0: this segment right now. This is never going to happen again. Yeah. Never. Yeah, this is this is but, impressive. Uh, but Adam, look, that was a great question. It was perfect yeah, was for this week cool. uh, because it got it got Stever it got Stever in there. And uh, if you listen regularly, uh, you know whether we get the question right or wrong. We then bring in the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim, Mm -hmm. and he usually plays some cool moment involving the answer to the question. This week, it feels more fitting to hear the subject of the question, Tom Seaver. So, Mr. Mayor, what did you find in your Seaver Files?
3: It's interesting digging back on Seaver uh, on the Internet and trying to find Mets stuff. I actually ended up with a Reds highlight, but I thought it was a fitting one because he won 198 games for the Mets. And obviously he's known as the greatest Met of all time. Um, But the team, the other team that he won 75 games for was indeed the Reds, including his only career no hitter. So let's go back to June 16th, 1978. Tom Seaver finishing out that one no-hitter.
4: Tom Seaver, now a strike away from his first Major League no-hitter. The Reds leading at 4 to nothing in the ninth inning. Hendrick puts ahead of the bat on the plate. Werner hangs a sign. Seaver with a pause, the check and the pitch. He bounces to first base. Dreesen has it. He goes to the ball.
0: Oh, tremendous. Mm. Got goosebumps. Yeah, Marty Brenneman on the call. I, I mean, think about that. All those years with the Mets where nobody ever threw a no-hitter, he leaves the Mets, goes to the Reds, and then throws one for the Reds. <laughs> <laughs> that was the magic of that moment. Anyway, Adam, we loved your question. Uh, thanks so. Ho- th- thanks for working so hard to make it onto this podcast, to ask it, and thanks for joining us here in Starkville.
4: Absolutely. Anything in life is worth uh, fighting for. And if it took seven weeks, uh, that, that just made this moment so much more worthwhile.
0: Well, we were thrilled, too. Thanks so much, my friend.
4: Absolutely. Thank you.
3: Hey, Starkville, Evil Mayor Tim here again, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED all from the comfort, and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Stark and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash Stark today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com Stark.
0: One thing we try to do in the segment is we use the trivia question to inspire a topic for the show, and Doug, this week the topic obviously is going to be Tom Seaver, um, one of the greatest pitchers who ever lived. Uh, you grew up in North Jersey while Seaver was pitching. I'd love to hear your memories.
2: Yeah, one thing I, I you know, wanted to pay more attention certainly after uh, we lost this icon of, of baseball and. I didn't remember he went back to the Mets uh, in 83, right? There was a period where I didn't really did. m- sort of make the connection from thinking back to my childhood. But my brother was a big you no know, nationally fan, loved the Reds, and was a huge Tom Seaver fan. And I always think about the matchups. You know, I was a Phillies fan, so you always think of Carlton, the duels, the great duels of that era. Tom Seaver was always a big part of it, a strikeout pitcher in a time where that wasn't necessarily the – you know the the known quantity as much. You know now you see it. You know everybody averages more than a strikeout an inning, but Seaver was that true power pitcher that the 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 drop and drive. How he like went into attacked hitters, and I always loved you know seeing his name like great pr- pr- probable starter Seaver, and then there was all these other pitchers that were always trying to to duel with him, and he was always in a duel, whether it was Steve Carlton or. You know any of the other great pitchers from the from the day Fernando Valenzuela, whoever. So uh, yeah, what, a, what you know. So that's what I always think of: just power, dominance, command, and just uh, relentlessness. And you know he was very effective in the latter part of his career. He turned 30 and still had you know 10, 11 years left of just really being a dominant pitcher. So um, you know he was a combination of compiling greatness. And and sort of dominance in, in during an era, and and that's uh something I always think about.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, Doug, here's my memory: I, I attended Tom Seaver's 300th win. Um, I, I I believe I've seen four pitchers win their 300th: uh, Carlton, Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson. That was a really weird one. It was a first game of a doubleheader because of a rainout. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. There was like 14 people in the stadium when it started, but, (laughs) but, uh, and then those three guys and Seaver, uh, and that Tom Seaver game is as memorable as any milestone win that I've ever covered. Um, first of all, it was in New York, which was fitting, even though it was at Yankee stadium, instead of Shea stadium, uh, we had a packed house that day, the usual array of people, like, Big names there. Howard Cosell was in the house. Richard M. Nixon showed up. Doug, he was in Steinbrenner's box right next to the press box. Also, it was Phil Rizzuto Day, oh. and that was crazy. So they had this just wild pregame ceremony. Uh, Seaver had to wait fifty-six minutes to go to go throw a pitch uh, after going out to warm up because of the Phil Rizzuto Day festivities. Uh, you know they because Rizzuto's big. Home run call was holy cow. They had a cow on the field. Of course. (laughs) Uh, Rizzuto got knocked over by the cow. (laughs) It was just unbelievable. Uh, Then the game starts. Tony LaRusso was Seaver's manager. Never forget this. He got ejected from the game, refused to leave the dugout (laughs) because he wanted to see Seaver win his 300th game. That was tremendous. 54,000 people there. They were chanting, let's go Mets, which was surreal in Yankee Stadium. And then there there was this moment. Um, Tyler Kepner just touched on this in his great Seaver piece in the New York Times. But Seaver threw a complete game that day at 40 years old. And they almost took him out in the eighth inning. Uh, He gets into trouble. Dave Winfield's coming up. Dave Duncan, the pitching coach, uh, goes to the mound because he's the quote-unquote temporary manager, even though La Russa hasn't left. (laughs) Uh, So Duncan and Carlton Fisk go to the mound, and Seaver is gassed. Uh, Dunk sees it, um, but Carlton Fisk will not let them take Seaver out of the <laughs> of game. He actually, he actually says, you're fine, let's go. Okay, <laughs> so Seaver stays in the game, strikes out Winfield on a changeup in the dirt and finishes the game. Just so cool to be there because even when you watch Tom Seaver at 40, you were watching greatness and it was awesome to see. Awesome. Uh, all right, Doug. One thing before we go. We always like to spend a few minutes talking about the craziest, the strangest, but truest stuff that we saw in the last week. Doug, I know what you want to talk about because you were texting me about this. This was last weekend. Met shortstop Ahmed Rosario. This is what he did. Let's hear Gary Cohn, who's becoming a regular on this pod, describe this special moment.
3: You're saying he might walk? Uh, I, I didn't say a word, Gary. just... And indeed, it has happened. (laughs) Ahmed Rosario has walked and his teammates are uproariously happy. 157 plate appearances since his last walk (laughs) dating back to last year. (laughs) And the streak has now been broken.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was his 101st plate appearance of the season and his very first walk. All right, Doug, what made this one so special for you?
2: Well, it was it was very inspiring. Um, I was uh, I, I think it was Baseball pr- uh, Prospectus uh, declared the term "hacktastic." Uh, when you're hacktastic, you are you're just swinging at everything, you know. And Rosario is absolutely hacktastic. He uh, and he's mad. At, but I was also impressed that he squeezed out three walks in the week. Uh, that shows tremendous adjustments, and he's going to now. Uh, try to surpass the 100 walk mark by not swinging the rest of the season, possibly. But um, I can relate. I took a lot of heat for being very aggressive. Uh, I was, I mean, I don't know if I was that unaggressive, but, uh, <laughs> that aggressive. But however, I did have my stretches where a walk was just a dirty rumor uh, that I didn't think existed. Four balls was uh, an unknown quantity. I refused to accept it. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> I figured, have bat will travel. Put the bat on the ball. You know, they, you know, used to hear the phrases of, you know, you can't walk out of Teaneck, New Jersey. You can't walk out. You got to hit. You got to swing. phrase was it? Yeah, someone, someone coined that recently. Uh-huh. Can't walk out of Teaneck, New Jersey. You got to, you got to swing the bat. Right. So yeah, so I appreciate his struggle. There comes a time where you can't tell the difference of whether you're just swinging to hit the ball or swinging out of a, some sort of reflex or self-defense. It starts to sort of blur when you're swinging that often. Uh, and then it becomes, the ball has to literally almost hit you in the back for you to to not swing. And uh, that's usually a problem, but Rosario has made it look really good at times. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, you, you were definitely hacktastic in your day. Um, that, look, it's a miracle. You never made it to 100 plate appearances in a row without a walk. That's a shame. But I, yeah, I looked this up Your longest streak ever was 98 in a row. (laughs) This was in 2001, um, July 25th to to August 23rd. So you, you come to the park the 24th, two trips away from that magic 100 walk or 100 plate appearance, Mark. And what happened in your first trip the next day? You walked your first time up against the Diamondbacks. Do you remember who you walked against?
2: Man, it had to be like Nolan Ryan or something. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> nah, a solar nah, eclipse. Nah, no. something yeah, uh,
0: fellow, uh, fellow broadcasting legend, Brian Anderson. Watched oh, it. wow. Man, right?
2: what was he thinking? They, they said it couldn't be done. Yeah, yeah that's, could. That, that's, yeah. I mean, solar eclipse, when you are kind of mentioned in the same sentence as a solar eclipse, it, it's kind of an honor, actually. Uh, the rarity of something that you can do that's so magical, the whole country and world stands outside to watch. Uh, I think that actually is a, an honor, and um, so walking solar eclipses, we uh, we should celebrate them equally. When someone is so uh, rarely bestowing this pleasure on the audience, so um, but yeah, I, I definitely had my year. That I know that uh, that year I hit I hit too many home runs one year, and it sort of got in my head that I was a power hitter, and that can ruin you for a lifetime. So I was. It's like, wow, I, I was leading the Phillies in May with 10 home runs. Everybody's like, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, at Hill Home Run opening day, I was like, I'm going to hit 162 home runs. That's, that's, that's what's going to happen. Ryan Dempster was a victim the first day of the season. And, um, yeah, it, it went all off the rails after that point. So, uh-huh. worst thing that all happened right.
0: to me. Now, I need to clear something up. The whole world was not waiting outside Veterans Stadium to see you not walk. Okay, that did not happen. They that missed never out. that never happened. So they missed out. that was that was factually incorrect. Uh, now here's my strange but true moment from the week. I wrote about it in this week's useless information column. This was last Tuesday at Coors Field. What the Giants do that day? They scored in the 1st, the 2nd, the 3rd, the 4th, the 5th, the 6th, the 7th and the 8th innings. Scored 23 runs, scored in every one of those innings, and then what do they do in the ninth, Doug? They they put up a zero against a position player. <laughs> Drew Uterra. So Doug, how many times in history do you think that's happened? A team scores in the first eight innings and oh. gets shut gets shut out in the ninth by a position player. I mean that that
2: has to be if there's a such number as negative zero, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it today. Negative yeah, zero. Never. Never that's is
0: correct. We, we had the Elias Spears Spiro looked into that one. That would be never. And, yep. Doug, that's just another tribute to baseball. It is awesome. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this week's awesome Starkville. Let's remind you, Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free, wherever you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe. And follow Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. And, of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. Also, if you would like to read our work or the fantastic work of our fantastic staff, there's still no better sports writing being done anywhere than you'll find in the Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, we're currently offering a free trial. So check us out. You won't be sorry that you did. Also remember, you too can be part of the podcast just like Adam Ryder today. Uh, We now invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here in the podcast and prove once again there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong, even though we failed to do that this week. (laughs) Is that the right terminology? I don't know. (laughs) To do that, you just need to submit a great baseball trivia question, and here's how. You can Email it to us at starkvilleattheathletic.com or do what Adam did today, tweet it at us. If you wanted to tweet at Doug Glanville, you would.
2: Yeah, use it to find. At Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E.
0: And you can find me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, Jason with a Y-S-T. Just remember, hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Kevin Kiermeyer for visiting us. Thanks to Adam Reiter for the trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll see you next week on a really special start.